Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Ivan Coyote. Ivan Coyote is the award-winning author of 10 books, the creator of four short films, and has released three albums that combine storytelling with music. Ivan is a seasoned stage performer and a longtime road dog, and over the last 18 years has become an audience favorite at storytelling, writers, film, poetry, and folk music festivals from Anchorage to Amsterdam. Ivan's 11th book, Tomboy Survival Guide, was released in the fall of 2016 with Arsenal Pulp Press. Okay. Okay. Ivan Coyote, welcome to the show. Hi, Dale. <laughs> it's good to have you here. How's it going? It's going well. Yeah. I, and I was saying earlier, and I'll say it again, that I'm delighted to have you back here in Newfoundland. It's always good to have you here. I love St. John's. I think it's my either my fourth or my fifth time. I can't remember. Yeah. For sure. I know you've been here to the festival, the Storytelling Festival before, and done stuff here with Mun. I've done stuff here with Mun once before. I've done stuff here with the Storytelling Festival, I think once, maybe perhaps twice. Yeah, before possibly. I don't remember. Yeah, and I also came here to work as a props person a million years ago I, on a crappy uh, made-for-TV MOW movie of the week. Really, uh, sponsored by uh, Much Music. <laughs> true, had, story. true story. Andy Jones was in it. Oh, get out! And I had to serve him French fries. That was the, true. Uh, we were in some. What's the like east most easterly part of Cape, this Cape Spear? We were up there somewhere, like shooting, and we were up in some supposed to be a restaurant. And uh, he was very nice about the fact that we were nowhere near an actual restaurant, and the French fries that he had to eat over and over and over and over again, um, as mul- for multiple takes from multiple directions, and then twice for coverage. You know, uh, <laughs> were cold, and he just ate that French fry like a champ every every <laughs> single take. Take, and then I never saw him again until he came and took my workshop word weird oh, get out. yeah it yeah. was like his you know his fry bringer basically props person and then many many years later he walked in and i told him that story like well we already met before of course he had no I recollection no i was how would i yeah it's completely out of context right yeah yeah so that yeah. was that a that was a previous life for you and no it was my life or? that i yeah. how i paid for being a writer back okay, before yeah. r- being a writer was paying for being a writer yeah, yeah. Yeah. So w- at what point did you kind of reach that point where writing started to be a profession then for you? Writing's still not a profession for me, actually, <laughs> um, uh, like money-wise. I, mean, yeah. I, I make nothing from writing. Yeah. That's the odd thing about being a writer, right? Nobody pays you to write. Yeah. Sometimes you can get a grant, but you're, you know, but um, to pay for the creation. But um, I make a living from performing. Right. From storytelling, mostly, yeah, you know, in all the different manifestation, manifestation, transformations <laughs> that you can make, you know, yeah, yeah. When uh, when did you start writing? How, how old were you when you started to put words down on paper? Oh, very, 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 very young. Yeah. I was talking about that in the high school this morning. Yeah, at eleven a.m. But I I might be sort of on Calgary time, so it might have been more like seven thirty. Right. So, so really, kind of early, like, no matter which way you calculate it, really. I think seven a.m. There's a reason why most high school classes don't begin at seven a.m. <laughs> for anyone, really. You know. And, and uh, so you were you were talking to the students about your early writing. Yeah, they ask. They always ask me like, when did you start writing? When did you start writing? And the, on to to be honest, I don't remember. Like, yeah. it's always been a thing for me. I come from this big Irish Catholic family up north, and I had uh, thirty six cousins all younger than me, wow. and so you know, a lot of little cousins and little, my little sister, and so I had. I mean, we were big on sharing. Well, it wasn't really sharing. It was like more like enforced 
splitting in a fair and equitable fashion (laughs) more than actual sharing like we weren't like you know oh let's share out of the goodness of our hearts we're like let's share the skateboard or else it gets taken away and locked in the trunk of you know my uncle brian's car for three days till we all learn to share which basically means like let each other take a turn (laughs) so who was who was the rule maker the rule maker was that your role or was uh, it someone? Well, yeah, I had to, infor- I was more of an enforcer. <laughs> right. I was more of a non-consensual, <laughs> not very effective enforcer, I would say, because there was, like, my sister was only 15 months younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, so we had to share in quotation marks all the time. But the only thing that I didn't have to share was my journal. Oh, okay. All my other toys, everything else, like, you know, not only did I have to share, it was often like if I, you know, I remember coming, my Meccano set was for some reason, the, the reason I one of the things I was most bitter about. I remember coming home and looking for my Meccano set, which, you know, to be honest, I probably hadn't touched for a couple of weeks and I was very particular about my stuff. So I went exactly where it was in my trunk and it was gone. No Meccano set. So I go and ask my mom and she's like, oh, Roberta, you know, gave it to Christopher, my cousin. For and I'm like, what do you mean she gave my Meccano set away? Like, it was mine, right? I got it for my birthday or whatever, right? And, it, you know, she thought they thought I wasn't using it anymore. Right. So I always. To answer your question? Always. Always, Dale. And is, the, is journaling still something that you do? <sighs> Well, I just published my 11th book that's partly, <laughs> yes. So it I, is, yeah. I, yeah, to some degree, yeah. 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 So I wanted to talk about the the new book, uh, Tomboy Survival Guide. So this, this has just come out, like in the, like, the past ju- month like, or so. Yeah, like we got it back, I think the, yeah, like just come out. Like yeah. maybe I held it in my hands two weeks ago. Right. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank this you. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and this is book doesn't translate to radio, but isn't it a lovely? It is cover? a lovely. Who did the Who did the cover art? Uh, this the heart, the heart, the just for the radio listener, the anatomical heart in traditional rope bondage uh, was designed by my cousin Dan with a consultation on actual rope bondage from a rope bondage expert, my friend uh, Leanne Powers in Toronto. I don't fool around. I'm just. I don't just like. Oh, what would it, what would it look like to? I'm like, no. You go how, the expert. How could you suspend a heart? Yeah, suspend or encase or hold, depending on how you want to look at it, or or bondage it, yeah. right? But to me, it's being suspended. Um, I think this is the first time we've talked about rope bondage on the podcast. I, I'm pretty sure. Well, that's it's the, the first, first time for everything. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's the that's the heart. the The font was done designed by Oliver McPartland, who's the in house designer. Um, with a heavy consultation, shall we say, from me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was very, this was the book that I, this book looks exactly how I wanted it to. Like, it, this is, it's as close as I've ever come to, to like, um, the final product being like a very close replica of my original vision. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's all f- like this, you can, everything. So you have, and then, did you have more control over this particular project then compared to some of your earlier works? Well, or? I mean, I've worked with Brian and Brian Lamb and, and um, Arsenal Pulp Press for, this is my 10th book with them. Yep. And uh, I started my f- first process with them. My first book came out in with them in ni- in 2000. So I think I started working with him around 1998. So that was, uh, well, that's going on 20. Yeah. That's going on 20 years now. So I've been working with Brian for 20 years. Yeah. So um, 
do I have more control or do have I built a better relation? Like, have I built a relationship of like him and I, he trusts me and I trust him. Right. And uh, I trust the folks that he hires and, um, and, uh, Oliver's a great designer. And so we worked really closely and I spent the better part of, uh, probably the last two and a half years whenever I was on the road, which is all the time, um, going through, uh, I dragged a lot of heavy books back to Vancouver in my suitcase for my carry on. <coughs> Cause I, I brought Oliver a stack, literally like past my waist of old manuals. Mm. So if you look through the book, which I will let you do in a minute if you're lucky. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'll totally let you look at it. It's all full of these old uh, illustrations. Yeah. So I've, uh, and it's everything from that's a home appliance repair. This is from a, a audio, uh, in like a automotive electrical manual. A lot of electric, I used to work as an electrician. So there's a lot, and there's a lot of references, do's and don'ts of axe holding uh, pocket knife uh, opening and closing, battery, um, and then there's also like uh, knitting, basket weaving. Um, there's there's some knots in the front. So these are all like graphics drawn from old manuals. Uh, my favorite being this home appliance repair. So what I did was I took all the like so-called feminine appliances. This is in this case it's a mixer, and this is a cutaway of how to take it apart and how to fix take it. it. Apart. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's, oh, oh, this is my favorite. This maybe doesn't all translate to radio. <laughs> to radio. It's terrible, but, um, well, this would. Oh, the Because that's code. actually, that's the beginning of Tomboy Survival Guide in Morse code and Ivan Coyote in Morse code there yeah. on the inside. So that would translate really well. So is this the frame of, the framework of the book then is that it's, it is a survival guide? Well, it's that's a, the visual framework. Or, yeah. yeah, it's it, it's a memoir, and it's like it, there is some survival stuff, like really important things, like how to build your own cruelty free non leg hold uh, unicorn trap. You're right. Like every tomboy has to learn yeah. about that. There's some stuff on bikes, um, uh, playing the saxophone, <sighs> kissing girls or not kissing girls, clothing problems. Um, Screwdriver identification. <laughs> uh, well, you call it rope bondage, Dale, but I just call it like good, clean mariner skills. Right, so okay, I don't know good. what, like, I'm not sure what kind of company you're keeping. <laughs> but uh, there's all the knots right in there. A fine traditional art, yes. Fine traditional art. Um, yeah. Oh, here, look. Here's, you can, it's an illustration how to take a wire hanger and turn it into a hammer holder on your belt. Yeah. Probably for free. Uh, family stories. There's family stories in here. I like to think that there's some pretty funny stuff in here. Uh, oh, lacrosse stick breakdown. Just anything that you might need to know. How to take a vacuum cleaner apart. <laughs> and then that's all the other oh, tool identification. And then there's like stories, like you know, story. You you know the kind of stories I tell. So they're, yeah. uh, you know, they're all full of the coyote one too. Yeah. Which is like make someone laugh and then be like, oh, you think that's funny? Now I will viscerally rip your guts yeah, out. Yeah, make you cry. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of the old coyote one too in there. Boom, boom. Boom. Or should I say boom, boom, boom. And um, and then these, uh, oh, how to sharpen a knife. And then these, I call them, okay, so like I've been doing this performing thing for a long time, right? Yeah. And uh, so as you know, it's like you have to be able to think on your feet. And they'll be like, oh. Uh, can you do a 25-minute story? Can you do a 10-minute story? Can you do a seven-minute story? You have three minutes. And that was always a problem for me, the three minutes. Yeah. Never have I been able to. I'm not a poet. I'm a storyteller. 
So I kept having that happen or I would get like a 15 minute set and I would do a 10 minute story, but you know how you go on. And then all of a sudden you have a 12 minute story. Sure, yeah. So you have three more minutes left, but you don't have anything. And some festival three organizer is, is pulling their hair out. Well, they don't usually pull their hair out if you go under your time. Under there's your some, time, no. There's always some Yahoo went, <laughs> went, went way over their time. So anyway, uh, I started writing these little literary Doritos, I call them. Okay. Can you, give like, us a, can you give us a, a yeah. sample then? Yeah. I can. I got lots of them. Hang on. Do you want funny? Do you want sad? What do you want? Well, I think we should have the one-two punch, maybe. We should have uh, a funny one and a sad one, if we can. Okay. The, the, stories, the, the stories that you... These are... Okay, here. I got one. Okay. Shoot. Me to a guy carrying a baby in a snuggly next to me in the grocery store lineup. If you had a half-chewed piece of cracker stuck to the side of your head, would you want someone to tell you? Guy with baby says... With resignation, probably not. Well, then I say, forget I said anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like just a little shorty, short, short one. There's and there's tons of them, and a lot of them are traveling stories. Hang on, I'm trying to find. Okay, this one's a, a bit of a sad one. Today, in the heartrending world of small town school shows, I met another trans kid. Grade nine, struggling, unstable housing, mother with addiction issues, other kids not respecting his chosen name or pronoun. He says he's getting a job so he can buy a binder. It's a thing to, you know what that is? It's a thing to like strap your yep. chest down. Previously explained in the book. He says he's getting a job so he can buy a binder because he can't handle looking at them. He tells me the first time he told his mom he was trans, she was blacked out and didn't remember the mean things she said to him, but he remembered. He told me that before his people were colonized, two-spirit people were, were respected. Did I know that? We hugged. I told him I would send him some books when I got home, care of the school. He said he had four good friends that he could trust. I said, now you have five. He said, I know. I told him to keep on drawing. That art will help you get through. He said, I know. Yeah, I remember that kid. I'm trying to remember what his name was. It's great, hey, because the trans kids get to make their name whatever they make their name. So sometimes yeah. it's like, hi, I'm Ivan. And they're like, hi, I'm Cyril. <laughs> like, you, and you pick that. Yeah, that's the real <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wasn't Cyril, though, but it was, it started with a C, something like that. Anyway, remember that kid. And is that Dawson Creek? Is that kind of a, maybe not a common thing, but is it a, a, a thing that happens that kids come up and tell you their, their personal experiences? Oh, yeah. At yeah. school shows, yeah. Any, I mean, kids do that, right? Yeah. I mean, they do that to any writer who comes in or any artist that comes in, but like for a trans kid to have a trans person walk into a school in Dawson Creek, that was Dawson Creek, yeah. right? Hard school. Like I walked in and the principal had like 12 kids lined up that had just been in a big scrap and, you know, like that. It was a harsh school and that yeah. kid was really struggling. And then yeah. dum-de-dum-de-dum, they don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden I walk into the gym. So sometimes the the teachers, they don't even know, right? Because I'm just an art starts performer coming in and they don't even, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden they walk in and so then they'll they'll be like, oh, we've got, you know, a trans kid in grade nine, grade seven. You know, can you do? Can they? So they take me into a back room. That's what they do with that kid. 
took me into a back room and, you know, to the, off, the room off the counselor's room or whatever and sit me down with this kid. And they'll tell me, like, you wouldn't believe the stories that I've heard. That kid particularly killed me because he was just dealing with so much other stuff too on top of it all. Like, it wasn't enough that he's a trans kid in Dawson Creek and there's no bathroom or change room for him to go to. Like, that's the least of his worries. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even have, he doesn't even know if the, if the motor home that him and his mom are living in is still plugged into, you know, where they're getting power from that night. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know. Yeah. Uh, as a as a writer then, h- how do you select the stories? How do you find the stories that have the most resonance for you? Oh, I just, I don't know. You just, you, I mean, I just, I'm constantly kind of writing and jotting stuff down, right? And mm-hmm. then social media. Some of these Doritos started out as Facebook posts, and then if if I if I get if I write one and I like it I I I either screen cap it and send it to myself or I grab the text from it and I throw it into a file and I get a lot of ideas um, I get a lot of ideas like like that and uh, my new shirt this is another one my new shirt plaid on the outside but with flowers on the inside just like me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just collect it all up, you yeah. know. And then when I go to sit down with a project like this, I mean, it lends it. This lends itself to like, I mean, it's got. It is a workbook. It's a. It's a survival guide. So at the back, we had all these extra pages, so they're notes. Okay. Yeah. You can take notes, and you know, the, it, this story. The next project I'm working on is like, you know, Canlit. It's like a big honking long novel, but even with that. I'm trying to think about ways that I'll experiment with the form, you know, I, I, uh, I like to experiment with the form, Dale, yeah. you know, yeah. I, even if I'm like, oh, I'm going to write a big, long, candlelit novel. Well, there's lots of ways you can still do that differently or in your own way or imprint your own style onto things, right? So mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to tell, what's the best way to tell this rather epic, long story that's my way to tell it. That's yeah. what I'm trying to do right now. Yeah. So this is, I and, guess, my And version. I know you, you've been doing work as well, you know, combining words and music and doing yep. kind of these pieces that are intricate, I guess, is a good word to, to use, maybe? Yeah, I'm doing, two, well, three, I guess three projects like that right now. One is Craft Singles for Everyone, which is me and a guitar player named John Wood. Nice guy. Great guy, actually. And, um, and it's stories, uh, and he's playing guitar. I play a little ukulele. I play a little... Uh, Glockenspiel and some melodica. He plays. He has plays a. He has a sampler, so he's got some piano stuff that he wrote. But we don't travel with a piano because it's a piano, and we don't really need the keyboard, and it's not for very much. So he has a sampler that's the, that's actually a sampled sound of him playing this old tinny, upright kind of semi out of tune kind of like, you know, juke joint. Right. Uh, piano Saloon in his piano. basement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I tell stories. Um, so I'm touring that in February. And then I've the other project that I had that's sort of up and running is the Tomboy Survival Guide project, was, which is an all-tomboy band. So that's me. I play a little guitar, mostly storytelling, sing. And uh, uh, Sally Zori on the drums, she plays a little guitar, sings. Um, Allison on the trumpet also plays a little bit of drums. Uh, in one piece, and then pebbles on the bass guitar, electric bass guitar, and uh, and we all we all actually do a dance number as well too. So yeah, again, I just like to experiment with the form. You yeah. know, um, there's so many ways that you can approach storytelling, and there's so many ways to incorporate and weave it into other things. And 
So that's like a 75-minute live show that we're taking to Sydney Theatre Festival at the end of January. And um, uh, we're going to Seattle to open it for a film festival because I've actually got... I'm working on some film components for it too, some live mm-hmm. visuals uh, that are going to be projected behind. While the, so the film festival's into it because we've got like a visual component, but it also is dynamic and it's a way that they can open their festival, have a big show, you know. And... Uh, we're doing some other stuff with it and then um oh we're actually we've got two gigs next week one for high schools and one for to to technically launch the new book um at the writers fest in vancouver and then uh then the other project i'm working on is uh uh, me and a poet from poet and musician from uh toronto via edmonton vivek shreya and i are uh her and i are uh have a a new live show 75 minutes that we're going to premiere in November in Vancouver and then we're touring like Edmonton, Calgary, Lethbridge, uh, Victoria. How do you find collaborators? How do you how do you come together on projects like this? I go to see stuff. Yeah. And I and, you know, I keep my eye eye on the and I ear to the ground. It's Sally and um, Pebbles and Allison I met I did a gig with Dan Mangan, the 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 folk 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 guy in twenty ten at the Vogue Theater and um uh, I told a story. He invited me as a special guest, and I told a story with his great full band. And in that band was a trumpet player and a trombone player, Alison Gorman and Ellen Marple. And then I started a choir, uh, All Butch Choir in Vancouver, mm-hmm. uh, in I think 2011 or 2012, around there. And uh, uh, we did a gig, and Allison and Ellen, they were in the trump, they were in the horn section with Dan Mangan, so they already knew me. So they came out to the gig, and then they were like, "Hey." They contacted me and said, "Hey, do you want a horn? Do you want a butch horn section in your butch choir?" And I was like, "That's a no-brainer." <laughs> so they came and started playing with us. And then I had found this. My real estate agent had crazy pipes. I heard her singing in the car, and I was like, "You got to come sing in the butch <laughs> choir with us." And so she did. So, and then Allison splintered off and started this funk band. And she always wanted, she always wanted to have an all queer funk band. So she started this funk band called Queers Funk. Her name, not mine. And. uh uh, asked me to come play saxophone because I played sax all through high school and I hadn't touched a saxophone in a million right, yeah. years but she was determined and there wasn't that many queer saxophone players lots of saxophone players but not a lot of queer saxophone players and uh, and so so she got me this old this old it was a purple horn it was like some it played though so I played it and, and um, I went to one rehearsal I think it took one rehearsal we were playing Stevie Wonder, um, Superstition, you know. Yeah. You know, the horn. It's great horn. How's it go? Great horn part in um, yeah, Superstition. And I don't know. Halfway through that rehearsal, I'm like, I'm buying a horn again. <laughs> yeah. I came home and my, my wife at the time, we're divorced now, but she was, I was like, I got to buy a horn. She's like, you, you went to one rehearsal. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I got to buy a horn. I got to buy a horn. So I played with Queers Funk. I, I had to finally step down in uh, November last year. It was almost a year ago, just because they're too popular now. Like right. they sold out the Commodore last summer. I'm not even kidding you in Vancouver, like <laughs> for pride. So I couldn't keep up with my touring and those guys. Yeah. Plus I wasn't a, prof- I'm not a professional saxophone player. I got a lot better, but uh, I ha- they're all pros. They're all studio players and stuff. I mean, she was in Dan Mangan's horn section. Yeah. Ellen plays with the VSO. 
and uh, you know, like they were serious and, and players. You had, you had played in high school, right? I had played. Well, I was pretty good, and <laughs> yeah. then I went to school after and studied uh, music. I went to music college right oh, after. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I played. Then I played the sax for a couple of years, and then I knew I really wanted to be an artist. And then I went to electrical school. <laughs> I did. It was really, actually, it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah. so yeah, I played played sax with them. So so, uh, and then I sort of cherry picked out of queers funk. I was like, I'll take the drummer and the bass player, and uh, well, I also couldn't have an eight piece band. It's hard enough having a three piece band. God. And the more the more of you, the less you make, right? Right. So I, I put together a little ensemble. So what does that what does that do for for you as a storyteller then to to incorporate all these different things in it, like film and, <sighs> and, and music sound sampling? Well, um, does a lot of things. Like, how much time do we have? Another four minutes. We got another four <laughs> minutes. You got to really know your material. Yeah. Like you have to know your material inside and out. Means you can have a bigger audience. You can take up more stage space. You can take up more space. Like that vaults it into a whole other arena. Like it takes it out of a library. And believe me, there's nothing wrong with telling stories to an intimate crowd in a library. I love doing that too. But you know, if you've got a full three-piece band and visuals, then you can you can do you can do you can do bigger audiences. Yeah. You know. And when you get jumbotrons and stuff like that involved too, like we're doing Sydney Theatre Festival. It's one of the biggest theatre festivals in the English-speaking world. We're going to be in a tent. I don't know how many people will be there, but it's going to—it's—it's it's a production. Yeah, that's a production that's that wouldn't you know wouldn't translate to a library. Right. That would be yeah. weird, yeah. right? Yeah. Like we've got a you know we've got I rock out on the guitar at one point with a with a like distortion pedal, like you know you get <laughs> you get to do some funner things. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... I, th- I think this is interesting, you know, that, that you... One of the things that I love about you is that, is that you don't just go to the storytelling festivals. You know, that, that, you're, that you're performing in all these different kinds oh, of God, venues. Oh, God, I couldn't afford to. <laughs> yeah, you need... Yeah, will, that's a whole conversation <laughs> for another time. But I, but I think it's right. You, you, you have a multiplicity of audiences then, and people who would maybe not be exposed to your work get to see what you do. Yeah, yeah, it's nice because if you can cross over and do film fests, like I said, or storytelling festivals, or folk music festivals, or writers' festivals, or poetry festivals, which all of which literally I have done in this calendar year alone, right? Yeah. Um, and this month, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. then it's, it expands your audience in a huge way and it expands the concept of what a storyteller is and what they do, yeah. too, as well. Right. Great. Yeah, I'm assuming the book is going to be available. Through the book your website, is available maybe? through my website. The Which book is, is what? available ivancoyote.com. There we you go. You hit the part that says books. <laughs> it'll pop up. You can buy it directly from the from the publisher. There. Go to your local independent bookstore, which is in St. John's. Is what? Uh, probably Broken Books. I would say Broken Books the best place to go. Broken yeah. Books. Go talk to. Do you know the person there? I'm not sure who the owner is at the moment. Go talk sure. to the go to talk the, to anyone go at talk Broken, to Broken books. books. Yeah. If they can't, if they don't have it, get them to order it. Can I say don't go to Amazon? No, go to do do whatever you want to do. It's <laughs> it's up on all the regular McCoys. Support you know? local business first. Support local business first, and then do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Click absolutely. on the click and clickety click <laughs> if you have to. If you want a signed copy, call Arsenal. And buy one over the phone and tell them what you want me to say and I'll sign it. When I go back in town, it'll, t- it'll be delayed. You're not going to get overnight signed service. So, but uh, yeah. Good. Yeah. What's next? What's next for you? You get a break. 
I, for a little uh, bit in a, in December, you were saying? I don't have a break. I need you need to like be out there on the road, and then you need to keep the machine going, right? So, and mm. in, in that, that in, as a as a person, as a solo performer, keeping that machine going goes like, I got to sleep, I got to work out, I got to do my taxes and paint the bathroom, and you know, and then I got to uh, clean up the house, and then I got to sit down and decide what I'm gonna do next. And uh, and start working on that. So I'm really into Ableton right now, which is uh, like a music production production software, studio music production software, mm-hmm. to make beats and make noises, and you can sample stuff. And I'm doing some soundscape stuff, and um, I'm working with a uh, uh, a great a great uh, a great musician who I've just started a like a new collab, even brand new brand new collaboration with. Um, I'll be touring the pretty good uh, show with Vivek Shreya coming up, and I'm working on this Canlit novel, this big honkin' Canlit novel. So, you know, just keeping on, keeping on. <laughs> keeping on. Living the dream, man. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Thanks, Dale. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening.